Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. Welcome again, everyone. We're so glad that you are here joining us. Uh, I'm Rabbi Matt Shapiro. Uh, there's Rabbi Rebecca Schatz. Rabbi Schatz. And uh, most importantly, uh, we have three members of our community joining us here this evening, Jenny Asher and Greg Pratt and Philip Pratt. Um, we've been talking about convening this program for for a while now, and we couldn't quite find the right time for it. We figured better to make sure we can find a spot for it on the calendar when we can uh, plan it out and set it up in a way that didn't feel rushed and didn't feel totally bottled up with a hagim, et cetera, et cetera. So we're, we're gathered now, which is wonderful. Um, as a very brief word of introduction in terms of, of why we're doing this, you know, one of the many, many things um, that has become clear to us over these past couple of months is how important it is to be having proactive conversations with different members of our community who are coming from different perspectives, different life experiences, etc. And so with that in mind, um, Rabbi Schatz and myself have proactively reached out to a number of members of our community saying, hello, we know based on who you are, your experience, um, your, your life experience, your uh, racial background, your cultural background, whatever it might be, your experience might be different and might illuminate a different uh, aspect of what our uh, community looks like than, than others. And so we want to hear from you and we want to make sure that our community hears from you and hears your story and hears your perspective. Um, our tradition uh, tell, is a multivocal tradition. It goes out of its way to preserve minority opinions, to preserve perspectives of folks who aren't the the primary, uh, you know, predominant perspective necessarily. And we also see over time in the tapestry of our tradition how voices that were um, once quieter or less of a focal point become louder over time, become even the primary opinion over time, and that evolves and shifts over the course of our uh, people's history. And so with that in mind, we always want to be mindful of making sure that we're listening to the perspectives and voices of each and every member of our community to make sure that they feel seen and heard and included and welcome. And and that's that, that makes us stronger, right? That our diversity, that we are a diverse community at Betham, um, and we want to make sure that we're amplifying that and enhancing that and growing that and, go, and making it a priority to hear different perspectives. Um, and seeking out um, ways to do that uh, is a big part of, of how we can continue to make that a priority and make that an emphasis. And so that's what we're going to do tonight. And that's, uh, uh, and so we're glad you're here to join us for that. Um, just a brief note of housekeeping before uh, we dive in. Um, we're going to hear um, sort of just some story sharing uh, from our three speakers this evening. As they're speaking, if questions come to mind uh, for you, you can chat them directly to Rabbi Schatz. And after um, Jenny and Greg and Philip have had a chance to speak, then we'll move into some Q&A. We'll be sort of collating those questions and making sure that they're, um, you know, because there might be duplicates, et cetera, et cetera. And so Rabbi Schatz and myself will be um, sort of convening that as a dialogue, and we'll be making sure that, that questions are, are offered up. 
um, and being mindful, of course, of Zoom fatigue. We're going to aim to wrap this up around seven to give everyone's eyes a break as we turn into the work week shortly. Um, so with that, um, Jenny Asher is going to be our first speaker this evening. Um, if you've been around Beth Am before March, when you could, you know, physically be around Beth Am, uh, you recognize Jenny. She's been a part of our community for the past six years now. Is that right, Jenny? Um, she's been coming to, she's a Beitinu regular, but you'll see her involved musically and programmatically in all sorts of ways. Um, and she's also one of my favorite people to schmooze in the back of Pilch with having a cup of coffee uh, and distracting rabbi shots, whatever it is. So uh, without further ado, Jenny, so grateful you're here um, to share this this evening. Thank you, Rabbi Shapiro, for that introduction. It's good to be here. It's, uh, it's interesting to be here with my own community. I've been asked to talk about um, race and my perspective on it, especially also being Jewish. A number of times, um, but this is a first. So, um, so thank you. I wrote my remarks because I'm so nervous and uh, I didn't want to cry. So, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully that still won't happen. Um, but uh, <clears throat> since I'm here to talk about race and and the perspective I have to offer, I I have to tell you that it's scary for a couple of reasons. One is I am afraid that my experiences will be dismissed as something other than what I think they were. Another is I'm nervous that I will offend or make you feel bad by not choosing my words carefully enough. In fact, when I was first asked to speak uh, to you, my lovely Temple Betham, I said no. <laughs> um, but I've realized that sometimes we are in a unique position to speak, like Queen Esther. And it's that thought that led me to find my voice. I've always perceived that I am seen as neither white nor black, <clears throat> instead of both, which would be truer. And as the daughter of a white mother with an entirely white family and a black father with an entirely black family, there were no family members to model mixed race for me. The message I received from being with my families was either, this is how white people are, or this is how black people are. And that really shaped my view of America. In preparation for this talk, I read Mara Gad's book, The Color of Love. She tells stories about being mixed, white and black and Jewish by birth. And I encourage you to read it. She shares the pain of dating Ashkenazi boys only to find they weren't comfortable with introducing her to their parents and the realization that her aunt treated her demonstrably different than her white siblings. Her stories were really illuminating to me. They helped me frame my own experiences, which prepared me to share some stories with you today. I've struggled with my daughter not looking a lot like me, and many people comment on it. One comment was especially hurtful. We have a Jewish nanny that we love, and one day she told me that my daughter is so beautiful and that you can usually tell the kids that have black in them, but she doesn't look black. Her nose is perfect because I don't think she was sharing any dislike of black people, just a preference for looks. I've never told her how deeply her words cut. 
I remember a rabbi I'd never met who approached me after services at Temple Betham and asked me about my background. He told me he always watches to see if people bow at Elenu, which I had, so he was curious. And this rabbi wasn't a regular part of our minyan, so he didn't know that I was a regular. He just knew that I wasn't white. I've had to explain to confused new friends at synagogue that when I refer to my husband, I am not in fact referring to the only other black person in the room whom I happen to be sitting next to. So my husband is not black. Temple Batham, however, has been the most welcoming, most unassuming Jewish community I've been involved in and I have only gratitude towards the clergy and the regular members of the Kahal for how they've treated me. I can't say this for all Jewish communities that I've been in. When we first moved to Valley Village, we tried going to an Orthodox synagogue. The rabbi asked my husband, Aaron, about my background. And because I had converted conservative, the rabbi informed Aaron that he would not be allowed to have an aliyah if we stayed in their community because his community had certain rules and he knew his community would ask him about my background. Many years previous, before I was married, I was attending a modern Orthodox congregation in England where I lived for almost a decade. And I invited two non-Jewish friends. One was white South African and the other was quite dark brown Indian. The security there was not intense, but the guard that day decided to give them a very hard time and eventually turned them away for not knowing the Shema. It was unusual for them not to turn up, so I surreptitiously went to call them. My Indian friend was crying, explaining the situation and saying they were on their way home. I promised them I would speak to the rabbi and begged them to try again next week. And they did. And eventually they converted and got married by that rabbi, remarried by that rabbi, and remained in that community. <clears throat> it's my assumption that these situations do not happen when one looks like all the other people in the room. <clears throat> in the past couple of months, I've had several conversations with family members <clears throat> and friends who felt saying all lives matter is fair and useful or were upset by the Confederate statues being defaced or torn down by rioters. And they felt comfortable openly sharing their feelings with me. And I realized they don't see me as America does, as non-white. They see me more like they see themselves. Therefore, they expected me to share their perspective. <clears throat> and they were surprised when I had anything to say in contrast or that I was hurt. When I was growing up, the ideology behind not seeing color was encouraged. I heard it spoken as a recommendation for a person. He doesn't even see color, for example. It never sat well with me. And Robin D'Angelo speaks about this concept in her book, White Fragility, and calls it colorblind racism. Dr. D'Angelo says that pretending not to notice color refuses the other's reality while reinforcing one's own, keeping it insular and unchallenged. Seeing color allows us to acknowledge that people of a different race have a different experience in life than we do. On the flip side, I've found that drawing attention to differences, comments about my pretty skin tone or the unusual fact that my hairstyle is always changing or questions if my daughter is mine because we are different colors, it's uncomfortable 
because it reveals to me that the speaker doesn't see me the same as themselves. And I actively seek the feeling of belonging because I don't feel it very often. I enjoy it so much when I have it as one would a favorite dessert. It's a special thing. But I am guilty too. I ask curious questions that have no purpose other than to satisfy my curiosity and prove my assumptions correct. Is the new black person in synagogue a convert? Is the kid whose skin color that's different than her parents adopted? To attempt to avoid hurting someone unintentionally, I've started doing the following. When I feel like asking a curious question, I ask myself what the motivation of that question is. And then I ask my question out loud, or I don't. I think it could be useful to allow ourselves positive reasons for asking personal questions, whatever those might be. Then we can allow ourselves the freedom to do so. And I think that's the next step for me. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you for sharing that with such depth and honesty, candor in terms of your experience. There's there's a lot to there's a lot to talk about there. I want to hear a lot more of what you have to say um, about some of those topics, and I'm sure other folks do as well. I'm gonna hold back on a lot of those questions for now um, to give uh, our other two community members an opportunity to speak a little bit. Um, Greg or Philip, you you both kind of demurred a bit when we were about to start, um, so. Who, who wants it or who wants to make the other one go first? I'll, I'll leave that up to you guys uh, to decide. Otherwise, I'll just do eeny, meeny, miny, mo. He can go first. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. Greg, you're, you're up if that's okay. No problem. Hi, I'm Greg. Gregory Pratt. I think we've been coming to Temple Beth on for almost three years now, if we're counting the bubble the bubble time. Um, me and my brother, we went to AJU um, and did the intro to Judaism class and with uh, Rabbi Greenwald. And we met um, Dr. Karen, who was mediating a some type of group, where it was like a, a lot of people whose intentions were to convert for whatever reasons, whether it be for like marriage or if it was just like me and my brother, we just had like a passion for the culture and a passion for Torah. Um, at that group, she said, I think you would love Temple Beth Am. And she's like, you should come. And I said, don't invite us if you don't expect us to come because we're kind of like going to show up. <laughs> and she's like, no, I'm serious. Show up. So I we showed up the very next Shabbat. And um, it happened to be like, I think it was like Martin Luther King Day was like the day before or a couple days before or a couple days soon to come. But they were giving a um, a drosh that was like connecting Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement and all of these things. And I was surprised. I think me and my brother were both very surprised that um, these types of things were even being talked about in synagogues. This was our first synagogue experience. We had never been to one before. Everything we learned was from like reading, reading Torah, reading the Talmud and listening to different rabbis uh, speak on YouTube and whatnot. Um, so it was interesting to see that side of it. Um, and we liked it and everyone was very welcoming. Um, and we were hooked. 
So we decided we would come back. And I think we came back like pretty much every week since. And um, we loved it. Uh, I think we, we ended up converting a year later. And Rabbi Shapiro helped and was there the day of our conversion. It was a very special time for us. Um, and yeah, so we started coming to Temple Beth. Um, Judaism has been great for me. Judaism has been great. And not only uh, if I'm looking in the mirror, but like our family members uh, have all noticed like this great metamorphosis within us um, since uh, the time of our conversion and, and whatnot. And they were actually giving a speech on it. My little sister was giving a speech on it just yesterday about how like uh, how much we've grown and uh, the benefits of it that they can see just from the outside looking in. And um, it made me think, uh, it made me think, cause I never really stopped to think and reflect on things like that about how impactful uh, these things have been for us over these last few years. Um, our experience at Temple Beth Am has, has always been great. Um, not only people helping us to um, get acclimated to the ceremonial parts of it, um, educating us on, you know, different things, whether it be like prayers, language, history, all these different things. Um, everyone's kind of been very helpful in that sense. We get a lot of invites to come back to uh, people's houses after Shabbat. Um, we get invites during the Moedim. Um, and it's just always been really great. Uh, and I'm grateful because I have read, uh, before I started looking for a synagogue, before we started to get into this, I did a lot of looking on like chat rooms and whatnot. And you, you, sometimes you would come across like different types of horror stories of some people's experiences. And, um, it didn't make me hesitant. Um, it was just something to keep in mind when we, when we came into the synagogue and I was, you know, I'm, I'm always grateful that my experience was not that type of experience. I think the types of things that I would say we have experienced or I have experienced, I'll let my brother speak for himself, are, are not necessarily things you wouldn't encounter anywhere. Uh, we grew up in neighborhoods that were always very mixed race. Uh, we grew up uh, in a neighborhood with a lot of Pakistani families, um, the different uh, types of white families, Irish families and whatnot, and, you know, black families, Mexican families uh, were always around us Koreans were always around us uh, in the neighborhood that we grew up. So we were kind of exposed to a lot of different cultures early and we all grew up together. We all hung out at each other's houses. We all ate dinner at each other's houses, but there is, there is, um, there is things that happen when there are, uh, when there's a divide, when there's a divide in experience, and there's a line that gets drawn, similar to something like what's happening with the Black Lives Matter movement and all of these different things that are going on. It kind of draws a line in the sand. And well, even sometimes well-intentioned people who are trying not to offend, because I think we live in a society right now where everyone's trying to be so careful not to offend that it takes us out of our like natural way of being and it can make it make things awkward and it. it it can get gray. The gray area stuff can come out. Um, there's, there's always a, I've come to grips with the fact that we're not going to, um, 
that we're not going to get away from the fact that you are a different color, that you're not going to, we're not going to be able to forget about that. Um, even as much as we try to, it is a part of who we are. Um, and I think that that's okay. I think it's okay to be a different culture, to be a different color, to come from a different background and to be able to discuss these things openly, I think is okay. Um, would you like to be treated exactly like other people are treated uh, in the community? Sometimes, yes, I suppose. But growing up the way I did, which was, you're usually as multicultural as our community was, you're usually one of a few black people in a room is how we grew up. So we're kind of used to just being the couple of black guys there, right? And um, so there, there's, a, there's a carefulness like you're being handled sometimes. Sometimes you get to where like you feel like you're being handled and uh, people are being extra cautious about what they say and how they say it. Are we going to get past that? I don't know. Um, I'm also very used to it and I'm, and I'm understanding of, I'm understanding of the other perspective of not being used to something or not understanding something and trying to just be respectful uh, about it. Um, there's, there's, you know, we, I can't, I don't have a story at Temple Betham that is really uncomfortable. I love everyone there. I miss everyone there. And they make us feel right at home. I think it's a testament, a testament to that. It's like us being there all the time. But um, sometimes when you get like guests, it's, it can, we've got a few funny stories that we laugh off um, about like people thinking that we're visiting or people assuming that we don't know about certain things or how to approach certain things or um, those things happen. But like I said, uh, growing up the way we have, uh, we've we've always had to navigate it. And I don't know if it's just that you become it, it you just become so used to certain things that you don't think about it twice. I don't know if it's that or if it's that you've just accepted the way things are and. Um, just try to see the best in people, try to see like the intent behind what others are doing. I don't have a nasty experience uh, with Judaism. And I, it's probably a lot of, to deal with the fact that we've only been to one synagogue and our synagogue is great. But even like our trip to Israel was very welcoming, um, very warm. And, you know, you, we've never really had like a community community. And to uh, to be accepted into people's homes and and into people's lives uh, so quickly and so effortlessly uh, from here to the land of Israel. I just think it's great. It's uh, the best thing that can happen for me. And I think it was a godsend. It's definitely had something to do with some spiritual things going on. But I'll leave it at that, I guess. Thank you, Greg. Thank you for sharing all of that sim- similar Similar to, to Jenny, there's there's a lot of questions I have that I want to follow up with you one on one, and I want to make sure to leave uh, time. We don't we don't want Philip to feel uh, feel feel left out in the mix here. 
Uh, no fair for only one brother to get to get to have have his full time. I will say, just for those who don't know, when Greg says, "Yeah, we just decided to to pop by Temple Betham," this isn't like they live in like West Hollywood or Santa Monica. These guys drive in from Rancho Cucamonga every week. So like the, these are, if you think you go out of your way to come to show, uh, the, the Pratt brothers have, have you beat. So, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that, the, the, the commitment is pretty remarkable. Um, and, uh, you know, it's wonderful always uh, to have you guys to have you guys come. So grateful that you guys make the schlep. Um, and uh, with 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 that important fact interpolated, uh, I'll I'll turn it over to to Philip for for a couple minutes. Uh, Philip, the floor is yours. Love to hear your perspective, your experience as well. <sighs> okay, <laughs> so of course that's my brother. Our experiences are going to be very, um, very similar. But when we did um, decide to, um, I guess, make a commitment to, um, first off, it was Torah, and then it was um, Judaism. Um, We didn't really think about, like he said, like there's just a lot of things that we don't think about. We're always the one or two black guys in the room that's it it's just like um it's life so we've grown accustomed to a lot of things um and like he said like our experiences at AJU was fun you know and at the last day like everyone started crying not us of course but they're like oh we're gonna miss you guys it just um that I guess that was our first um, little introduction to community, and um, you know how Rabbi Greenwald accepted us, and I've come to learn that the ones he picks on are the ones that he likes the most. Um, but that was just a fun experience, and when Dr. Karen, um, when we had that conversation with Dr. Karen, um, she did see like how passionate we were about Judaism. You know, and she invited us in. We came and it was fun. Like it was um, me. I'm not as outgoing as my brother. I don't I don't talk nearly as much. I'm very quiet. But um, we were we were welcomed. And um, even like the (laughs) the first day there was very welcoming. Um, Like he said, the the only let me just keep going, but with with like um one of the guys mark you know offering us offering to help us because you know in the beginning we were lost trying to flip through those pages and stay on point with all the prayers and where we're supposed to be at and he was like hey i'll help you guys i'll show you guys the order of the service and stuff that was very um helpful and he's always um like really become he's become a friend you know and we met his family, invited us over for Shabbat dinners. And it's um, even to his like, it wasn't just him. It was like his wife and his children were very welcoming and just like, hey, you know, let's um, let's have dinner. How are you guys doing when they see us? And 
a few others have been like that. Um, I can't name their names off the top, but so it it was always welcoming at Bethlehem. Um And like my brother said, we don't have too many um, bad stories or horror stories. We have things that we laugh at um, when people are unassuming or they act like when they see us, it's our first day. But even then, like those are like opportunities. Um, well, those are times where I see like other people in the community, like, I guess, um, just just come and make sure that that situation's not uncomfortable. I should say it like that, like they have our back. They're like, oh no, these guys are here all the time. Like, do you come? This is my first time seeing you. And they'll flip it on them like that. So um, yeah, Bethlehem is just, it's a warm, loving place for us, you know, I would say. Um, and I mean, really the only weird um awkward situation, truly awkward situation I've had with Judaism was outside of Temple Bethon where um, this guy tugged on my tzitzit one day and just basically told me, um, today's not Shabbat, why are you wearing that? And um, really, I just laughed at that too, because um, like my brother said, we're, we grew up in multicultural communities and a lot of times we are the one or two black guys so it's not too many situations that we could be placed in that are going to catch us off guard you know so but um uh one thing that I will say is that once we came to Bethlehem I was not going to go to no other shul because I wasn't going to um if we came here, grab, um, Dr. Carey invited us. We came. It was warm. It was a wonderful experience. Why would I leave myself open to walking into something that is not as good of an experience? So that's one reason why, like, um, we'll trek all the way from Rancho Cucamonga to come out there because... Um, there's no reason to put myself in situations where I've heard other people um, have horror stories. And even um, we had a dinner one time and one of the girls just broke down crying, um, talking about her experience during conversion. And that even caught me off guard because I was, me and my brother, we were like, man, that was fun. That was one of the very memorable times, you know? And just hearing hearing her tell her story and how like she literally broke down crying at the table because of her experience, it was it just reiterates why like there's there's no reason to go anywhere else. You know, Temple Bethlehem, you guys accepted us. Um, it's always warm. It's fun. We love you guys. There's no reason to go anywhere else. Um, yeah, I guess I'll leave it there. Thank you, Philip. Appreciate you sharing that as well. Um, but before we hop into questions again, like I, I could easily toss out, you know, 10 quick questions I have on everything that uh, each of you shared. Um, 
when when the four of us along with Rabbi Schatz were were sort of having the pre-conversation to this conversation, there, there was a lot of really interesting kind of back and forth between the three of you um, about your different experiences. And before I hop in with my own questions, uh, I, I'll step back for another quick minute. Jenny, if you heard anything, Greg, you know, is, is there anything that you heard in each of um, your three shares that sort of struck you that that was a oh yeah that's that's something that I experienced as well that that I wanted to point out is there anything that that read is very very different like is is there anything that um, Jenny Greg Philip that that you'd want to pick up on in in terms of what was shared in in the other stories I think I just might say I I'm so glad that you've had the experiences that you've had with Beth Am as as a contributing member to your community when you came in uh, I feel. Uh, a little bit proud <laughs> and um, and grateful that y'all stuck around. We like having you. <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to figure out how to make it a question, but um, a lot of things that Jenny shared, it it, it was very touching. Um, when when you talked about like dealing with your family, uh when a lot of these things started going on and some of the things that were said and how they didn't see you as um, they saw you just like them. Uh, I thought that was interesting. It's such a complex situation to be in. And it reminds me of when I was younger. Uh, Like I said, all of my friends, we all hung out together. We all stayed the night at each other's houses, all ate dinner at each other's houses. Um, There was a school that was being built that was going to be our high school because we kind of like East of LA was kind of like a wilderness for a long time. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure a lot of you still think it's the wilderness. I'm sure you don't even know what's on the map, but we grew up in a place called Riverside, California. We've been living in Rancho Cucamonga for almost a decade, but in Riverside, California, it didn't have a high school. Everyone was like trekking to the other side of town to go to high school. They built a high school called Martin Luther, the King high school, Martin Luther King junior high school. And it was on CNN they named this school and they were about to break ground and it was on CNN. The people of the neighborhood were like, we're not naming no school after this black guy. Right. And my mom's watching CNN that day and she turns it on. She turns it up. She's like, Oh man, they're making a big thing out of this. I'm like, what, what's going on? I don't know how old I was. Cause my brother was the first graduating class at that school. Um, and we started seeing like our friend's parents, we're like protesting the naming of the school and and I'm talking a lot of them. I'm like, yo, I'm not going to say anyone's name. This is going to be recorded. <laughs> I'm like, yo, I started to see all a lot of my friends, parents protesting vi- vicious remarks they were making about the naming of the school and how this uh, their community, they did not want to have a school called Martin Luther King. And I remember what that that did to me, it like changed the relationship and it changed the dynamic um, of the relationship with those friends. And, um, and it really started to hit home that we're not in Kansas anymore. Right. So I just, I don't, I don't have a question. I just was like, man, it just reminds me of, I know that something like that has to be very difficult to deal with, but it's such, it just seems like such a great opportunity to evolve as, as people. And maybe you're, you're like this beacon, right? You're like this Joan of Arc that is sent to like take arrows for the greater good or something. I don't know. 
gonna let you be Joan of Arc. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay. I don't do battle. <laughs> but I appreciate that story. That does uh, the emotion that you're describing that you had as a child feels similar to what I felt when I looked up and realized that I didn't see eye to eye with most of my family members on this on this uh, issue. So, so I'm going to pick up on that, and I'm going to, I think, Greg picking up on a on a piece that that you named, which was how you've noticed. It, it's wonderful, right? It, it's it's so great to hear that to a per, right. That, that each of you have said, you know, our experience at Temple Beth Am, we've felt, we felt welcomed. People have been so kind, right? When we've had experiences that have felt a little bit off, um, you know, that it's usually someone who's there less frequently than we are, that we're telling them, no, we're the regulars here. What are you doing? Right. That, that you sort of flip it around on them. But there was an interesting piece that you named when you said that sometimes you feel like people are being, if, if anything, too cautious, right? The sense that sometimes it feels like people might be kind of walking on eggshells a little bit. And, and I think it, it's not surprising that that's something you can feel, of course, right? You can tell when someone's being kind of careful in a conversation because um, they don't want to say the wrong thing. And, and I'll kind of own transparently that, that yeah, I, I've had that experience sometimes of, wait a minute, what do I say that these t- conversations, right? Ooh, is that something that's going to turn in a specific kind of way? You know, can, can you think of a moment when you felt that? I'd be curious to hear more about like what that experience is. What, what's it like to be, feel warmly welcomed into a community to see how much people care about you, invite you over, feel welcome, right? But at the same time to feel that sense of people are maybe being maybe even overly cautious when they talk with you instead of just putting out there whatever they might be thinking, right? I think that that's a, a striking thing to note. And it, I'd, be, I'd be curious to hear a little bit more about that, if any of you would be, would be up for speaking. Well, um, I don't know if you guys know this, but in Judaism, there was this book called Shemot. And there's like a lot of talk of, well, throughout the whole Bible, you get a lot of talk of slavery, so when a when a parsha or a drash starts getting on slavery, some of the Kiddush conversation around the coffee table gets a little like, you know, it gets interesting, which some of the most brilliant and awesome conversations come out of those drashes. And but, you know, you start to feel like, oh, I'm being handled here. like <laughs> You know, uh, it happens all the time, by the way, it's like, oh, I'm being handled. It's OK. But it's not like a thing where it makes me uncomfortable. Um, I guess tonight I'm discovering that maybe I'm an empath because I start to think like, oh, no, don't feel uncomfortable. You're fine. We were slaves last week. It's okay though. Like, <laughs> it's okay. So, no, like a lot of the times when the drosh would, would gear uh, towards um, slavery and whatnot, you you can see that like people are just not trying to hurt your feelings or um, bring up what might be um, uh, uh, hurtful memories or things like that. And I've never taken it as like, oh, that makes me uncomfortable. I've always taken it as, wow, these, you know, they, they care, you know, they care. 
Um, me, you know, I'm an awkward guy. I'm very outgoing. I'm awkward. But at the same time, you know, it helps me to understand that, hey, man, a lot of it is intention. I might, it might come off a little awkward, but the intent is that people are trying to see where I'm coming from, which is priceless when a person wants to know your point of view so that the relationship between you guys can grow from there. That is priceless. And um, so that's the way I take it. Uh, so from my perspective, it's always like, I just don't want people to feel uncomfortable about talking about difficult conversations or difficult scenarios, whether it be current event or past events. I always just want people to feel good about where they are and feel good when they talk to me. And that even if we're talking about something uh, or something happens to where uh, maybe I'm offended, I'm, I'm always trying to find a way to like, grow a relationship so everything's a, a chance to build upon no from from uh no matter what happens so yeah like for me it's yeah it, there's there's the handled thing but i think more so i think of like man you don't have to handle me and you don't have to be careful like we're family you know you, my family's crazy so you you guys <laughs> you guys are just fine <laughs> I, I love that you're identifying as an empath, right? It's so interesting that you're saying, oh, they might be feeling awkward. I, I'm okay with whatever's going on here, but I don't want them to feel awkward. <laughs> it's such an interesting um, fl- flipping around of that. Um, I, I'll, I, I want to push a little bit on something um, that I that I heard come up more than once, which was this sense that um, well, I haven't experienced anything at Bethon that I don't experience anywhere else, right? Which is, which is an interesting way of framing stuff, which on the one hand is, is wonderful, right? I'm, I'm glad that, again, that Bethon feels so welcoming and warm. And, and at the same time, like, I wonder, I wonder what's two sentences underneath that, right? Like, what, what's underneath that, that sense of, oh, yeah, anything I've experienced at, at Bethon, sure, I'll experience that, other places. I want to know what that is, right? I want to know what, what's that. And, and I think we've, we've heard it a bit, right? We've, we've heard each of you speak to moments that have come up and, and they haven't been catastrophic, hurtful, or I won't say hurtful. They haven't been catastrophic. They haven't been totally alienating, but it seems like there still might be a something. Um, and I just want to name that, that I heard that. And if any, if any of you would be, you know, Anything comes to mind that, that you'd speak a little bit more to to that to that framing? I'd be curious to hear that. So um, one time um, during Kiddush, or not Kiddush, it was um, it was afterwards where me and my brother, you know, put a few pieces of fruit on our plate, a little um, little of the beans. I forgot what the beans are called. What are the beans called? Cholent. Cholent. There we go. Okay. It's okay that you've forgotten because when we all come back, it'll be better. So don't worry. It's okay that you've forgotten. We're all looking forward to Cholent when we can come back. <laughs> so we were sitting there and um, one of the women, she was, uh, came, she was like, do you mind if we sit down? I'm like, no, go ahead, sit down. And her story was, um, it was either my daughter is dating a black guy or my daughter's friend is black. 
but um, you know, he's really interested in Judaism and um, he's been looking into the Torah. And so that was like her, her icebreaker, you know, like, so I want you guys to come over and, you know, um, have dinner with us one time. So, you know what I mean? So he could feel more comfortable. And so that's one of those things that like, okay, yeah, it happened at Bethlehem. We deal with this all the time. Um, but she wasn't, um, it wasn't like malicious because the conversation was uh, way more than that and um, interesting. And she was actually like kind of picking our brains, like trying to get to know us. So it definitely wasn't like any ill intent. It was just like the thing that, oh yeah, my daughter's dating a black guy. So let's talk, you know, <laughs> that's one of those things that is like, we, we just laugh about it and just never even think about it again. But yeah, there's, there's one of those stories. <laughs> so the, the sense that, oh, I recognize you, you are in this category that I'm noticing you're in. And here's another area of my life where there's someone who's in that category. Therefore, that's obviously the, the icebreaker question, or that's the intro comment that I'm going to make in introducing myself, right? Kind of like that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you saw Jenny. Jenny was laughing. I don't know if it was a laugh. What, Jenny, I'd love to hear about the hysterical laughing uh, that you were experiencing when Phil was sharing that story, uh, or we can just leave it at that. But you were clearly appreciating that story on some level. I just think the way that Philip presented it was amazing. I just thoroughly enjoyed it. And, you know, it's a story that we can all relate to in different areas of our life. You know, it's like, uh, I get the violin all the time. It's like, oh, you play the violin? Oh, my niece's step child plays the violin and he's been doing it and on and on and on and on and on and you know you notice that the, the, you have this one thing there's something about you that they know about in a very small part of their lives and so that's the common ground that they choose and you know you know every single member of their family is not a violinist because this one thing way over there is the first reference that they have to talk to you about. Um, I don't know. It's not as funny. <laughs> yeah, it is. And I think it's like you say, like when you're when you're trying to break the ice, it's like, okay, you do this and then we do this. It just so happens like, hey, your face is black. I've seen those before. There's one yes. that comes to my house. But for me, it's like it's I don't I don't I don't find a huge problem with that because race is such a big part of everything for our experiences growing up. And now it's front and center with the world. So it is a lot of that. And I think from coming almost three years, the sooner you get that out of the way, the quicker people start to learn that there's much more to us and that we have so much more in common. Right. 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 Yeah. But I I was uh, very interested when Jenny was saying like the, the things that get assumed Right. When you first met, there's assumptions when you first meet um, that I think that's a lot of speaking towards a lot of what you deal with all the time. There's like an assumption that, oh, um, and, it, and there's a wide range of assumptions that happen. But 
like I say, it's um, it's something you navigate and it's something that's fine. And the sooner you get it out of the way, the quicker we get into um, uh, other things that we have in common. But it is such a big part of our identity. Um, and whether we want it to be or not, it's kind of little. It's a huge part of who we are, and I think that that's a uh, that's just something that you have to deal with. I just want to jump in for a second. Um, I think one of the things that when Rabbi Shapiro and I were talking with the three of you that you really just just hit on in this past conversation, starting with the person who had the daughter who was dating a black guy. Um, I think that very often, no matter what your race, I think very often it's very hard to start off a conversation by talking deeply about why you're at shul, right? Why are you here? What brought you here? Well, I don't, I don't know. It's Shabbat, so I'm Jewish and I'm here, right? It's, that's, a, that's a deeply personal question to many people. And I think that all the more so, based on the stories that you've told us, all the more so people are careful. And as you said, Philip, maybe people are overly careful, right? That like, well, actually you've all said it, but but Philip brought it up that that like there's this over, we're almost putting band-aids on conversations so that we don't have to just say, hi, I've never seen you here before. Can you tell me a little bit about why you're here? And not in their minds, right? Not, I'll use myself if I were the example, not in my mind think, they're going to think I'm asking them this question because they're black, right? Not just because, oh, I've never seen you be here here before. I'm wondering why you're here. So people start to ask all these other, what could come off as maybe silly questions or band-aid questions. Because as you said, Greg, you're, you're looking at a person who looks different than the majority of the people in the room. And so all of a sudden, you, the white person, starts to try to filter everything so that you're not actually asking the very basic question that could come across as a very loaded question. And, and I hope that tonight is just the beginning of that, that the other people who are on this call now know exactly why the three of you are at shul and a little bit more about why it's important to you and a little bit more about your Judaism. So the next time that we see you at shul, we can say, what did you like about that drash? Or was there a piece of that drash that talked about slavery that really bothered you? And not be worried that that comes across as a white person talking to a black person and saying, hey, I'm interested in slavery because you're black. More so just because I'm interested in the topic of the of the drash because you were also in the room. And I think that that's that is one of these walls that we're trying to break down to make sure that people don't feel like they need to have those Band-Aid conversations, but also so that we can have conversations and not make them feel like they need to be censored in such a way that we're never going to get to substance. So I just wanted to pop in and say that quickly. Are you hoping that more people will talk about your drash? Um, if it's a good one, sure. Um, <laughs> no, I think, I, I just think that sometimes, I, I think that sometimes we are worried about asking pointed questions. If, if I were talking about LGBTQ rights in my, in my drash and I recognize someone in the room who I knew is, is in the category of LGBTQ, I would try to find something else to talk about before I said, how did that sermon sound to you? Right. And I think that that's because I'm nervous as a person who does not associate myself with that group. 
as, as something that I'd be nervous and hearing a response to. And similarly, speaking to someone who clearly looks different than I do about slavery, that that might be something that would be more difficult to bring up and not assume that they know that I'm just bringing it up because it was Torah and not because of this go- the color of their skin. I'll, I'll add to that. I think, you know, Jenny, this goes back to something that you were saying when you spoke sort of the, it's, it's almost like kind of a double-edged sword of colorblind racism a little bit, right? Because you're talking about how on the one hand, you feel like if somebody says something like, well, I don't see color, then they're, and they're sort of alighting a huge part of your experience. Like, well, what, what do you mean? This is like really something that informs a pretty substantial way of the way in which I I'm in the world. And then the, the flip side of that being, well, if that's going to be the thing that we're talking about just because of that difference, then that can be uncomfortable or awkward. And, and, and it, it's sort of like almost a lose, lose situation in that regard. Um, the, the challenge of pushing through that kind of awkwardness or discomfort to really have those conversations. How many of my children can you hear yammering, by the way? Because I can hear all three of them, uh, which is great. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Oh, Avi can hear five of my children. So that's an interesting plot twist. Um, but it goes back to something that that I think Greg was saying, that that first Shabbat that you were at Beth Am, that it was like in the neighborhood of MLK weekend, right? And that because it was being talked about, it was actually something that kind of said, okay, so this this is a place where we can have these conversations and the value in that. Um, I think that's really powerful, right? And, and going back to what Rabbi Schatz was saying, to to be able to say, we're, we're just here because we're here and because we like coming to Beth Am on Shabbat and we all have our own perspectives and we're going to be respectful and mindful and here we go, right? And just being able to have that transparently um, you know, ho- hopefully that can only continue to build from here. Um, I I see Avi Peretz has raised his hand, and at least at least Jenny chatted me to say if people want to talk, let's let's let them talk. So can I just, uh, can I mention one question that was chatted to me? Yes, absolutely. And then, um, and so then... so Kathy just asked me, does this affect other cultures or other races who are coming to Temple Beth Am? Um, and I'm not going to pretend to know the answer to that question. I will say that one of the examples that Kathy, that Kathy mentioned was our Persian members. I think that Persian Jews are often, um, known to be Jewish, right. And not, not question whether or not they are converts or if they were adopted or anything like that. I think more of that is happening to people who are arriving, who are Asian or who are black, um, because, most, most often in the past, I will not say the current, but most often in the past when there were Asian children or black children who were coming to either the school or the shul, they were either adopted or they, they were older than children and they had converted. But I don't think that people assume that of, of Persians, though in this past year, I've worked with two people who were Iranian, now Jews. So I think that it is a it is a wrongful assumption, but one that is often made because we do have such a large Persian Jewish community in Los Angeles. Um, but I, I don't know if anybody else has an, a different answer to that question. That's just my assumption based on our community. 
to, to which I'll add, and then, then maybe we'll open it up and maybe sort of put all the questions out there and give Jenny and Greg and Philip a chance to answer before wrapping things up for the evening. Um, which is, you know, th- we, we can have more of these conversations, right? Like, like, like we, maybe we should also be, make sure to have a version of this conversation with some of our Persian members, right? Yeah. Because, and, and there might be, and probably is variability in their experience at Beth Am as well. Um, so I see Avi has his hand raised. I see Pam has her hand raised, and, and maybe we'll we'll sort of surface the questions, and then we'll we'll do one more round of conversation, and then we'll we'll say Lila Tov and and to be continued. Yes, Avi. Um, thanks so much. Um, I had commented privately to Jenny before that I, I couldn't believe that I'd almost gone an hour in, on a Zoom call and, and hadn't said a word. So. So Jenny, at least, is one that knows that that had to change. And I, and I know you were soliciting questions as opposed to comments. Uh, I'm going to make just a couple of comments. Number one, um, uh, I had, um, I, I've gotten to know Jenny a bit. I, I, I've never really gotten to know um, uh, Greg and Philip, other than just to say hi to them on Shabbat. Um, and it is just marvelous hearing from you guys and just like hearing hearing your story. Um, it, it makes me think of, of like we should have Leah on here because the three of you need to be part of the, the Hanukkah monologues, however that may look, because people need to hear need to hear these stories. But um, but the thing that always struck me um, is the fact that um, like it or not, the three of you, uh, when you walk into a Jewish environment, you're like the most interesting people already walking through the door um you the curiosity the desire to know your story on the part of 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 those of us that are a dime a dozen going through that door um is is overwhelming i felt that number one i don't feel it as much anymore because the color blindness between spartak and ashkenazi it's not that you don't see the difference it's that the difference doesn't really it doesn't really matter anymore, but I know when I was younger, um, there was there was a ton of tension between the Ashkenazi and Sephardic, and I was 50-50. So I, I felt that uh, to some extent, I, I kind of reveled in it a bit. Um, um, but the fact is, is is being married to a uh, to a convert to a Jew by choice, we always get that same that same um, sense of like people going. Oh, really? Oh, you converted. And all of a sudden, the focus goes to Wanda. And, and wow, what is, we want to hear what your story is that had you stepped from one world into a world that's so different. And what made it all of a sudden, the three of you and those that we see that are unique and have stepped into this world it's like we are unbelievably curious as to what your story is. I, you know, I came away from listening to Philip um, and Greg. It's like, hey, I want to meet. I, I want to meet your family. I want to see what produced the two of you. I'm fascinated by that now. So anyway, I, I just find that that part of it that you are you are two three of the most interesting people that are going to walk into that to that synagogue and and. And you are going to engender people wanting to know, wow, how did you get here? 
because most Jews, if you think of the conversion thing, most Jews, the concept that they might be walking into a church because they've converted to Christianity is, is so hard to, it's so hard to grapple with mentally that they want to hear what it's like for someone that's on the flip side of it. Anyway, so thank you, all three of you. That's my comment. No question. Thanks, Avi. Avi, I recognize the name, but I did not recognize the face outside of that suit, my friend. <laughs> I was like, is that Avi? But when the voice kicked in, I was like, okay, we're good. <laughs> I got him. <laughs> nice. See, uh, Avi, the 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 issue, Avi, is that you're just you're just too formal of a guy. That that's really the issue here. No, the issue is that we didn't give him Shabbat announcements. <laughs> so if he's speaking and not giving announcements, people don't necessarily know who he is. We'll have to find our way. <laughs> uh, yes, Pam, thank you for waiting so patiently. I want to echo Avi's comments. I I really enjoyed hearing all of your stories and. I've definitely seen Jenny around. I Maybe it's me, as one of you, Philip or Greg, said. Maybe I haven't been around enough to see you, Greg, or Philip in services. Um, and I have a clarifying question for Jenny, and maybe it's a nosy question or whatever you called it. Um, but I have a colleague at work who is Black, and her mother is white, her father is Black, and she's Jewish, and she was raised Jewish. And I thought that's what you were going to say. And then at one point you said you converted... Um, in a you know, conservative conversion. So I just wanted to clarify, you weren't born Jewish? I wasn't born Jewish. I converted before I got married. Um, and it was awesome. <laughs> I think, and, and I'll sort of add the meta layer here, I think, in a context in which we're proactively having this conversation, I think that's a very different kind of thing, right? To say, hey, you you just very mindfully went out of your way to share your story. And here's a detail that I'm looking to clarify, as opposed to like, see Jenny and she'll walk up to her and say, hey, were you born Jewish? Right? Like that would, that would be a very different kind of, uh, kind of thing, right? And I'm, 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 I'm drawing that out because somebody chatted to me like, practicing having like band-aid conversations versus real conversations. And I think here too, it, asking why you're asking the question, right? And here asking the question, my sense is, yeah, well, you shared all this and I just want to make sure I understand as opposed to having that be like kind of your headline before you go and approach someone at Kiddush, right? Jenny, does that, does that sound about right? Totally. And I, I'm really open about converting. Um, I, I wear it like a badge of honor. Um, I got stories from it and I really like talking about it, but it does feel awesome when I um, go into like a Sephardic space and they ask me if I'm Yemenite or if I'm Egyptian or if I'm Ethiopian. And it's just, it's kind of just very affirming. Like you for sure belong here. We're just curious. Like, you know, how exactly do you belong here? The assumption isn't that I converted when I walk into non-white Jewish spaces. Um, and, and, and when I first started having those experiences and then I had them over and over and over again, um, it was really illuminating. <laughs> the discrepancy and the, and, the, and the feeling that I had from it. 
And when I'm in Israel, people think I'm Israeli. And so that feels great too, because they go, she's Israeli. She definitely belongs here. And then they'll speak to me in Hebrew and I'll ruin it all. But <laughs> I just, before we call on Nancy and then one of the Rosenblatts, um, or both Rosenblatts, um, I just want to point out, for those of you who have not gotten to know these three wonderful people, um, they're also extremely active in Beitenu. And I think that that's another piece, Jenny, that adds to um, people wanting to know what your story is, right? Because they see you come up and do an aliyah or, or daven something or read Torah and people are like, wait. What I don't I don't understand. You just told me that you converted and you're so knowledgeable. Right. So I it's that is that is a tribute to the three of you that the fact that you are so well versed and so participatory is something that might confuse people, but also allows us to see that it's not just about you converted and that was the end of it. You're now also with yes, with unique trope, that you're also extremely involved. Um, when I first got to know Greg and Philip, it was because they were, I think the first question I ever got to answer was, do you have the fill-in for me? And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, but, <laughs> but that's how we started talking. And I, you know, I just, I just want the three of you to be outed to everyone here that you are also a remarkable part of the community, not just people who come, but people who also participate and are so integral to what we do in Beitenu. Um, Nancy. Unmute. Okay. Hi, everybody. It's nice to see everyone. Um, I didn't have my camera on because it's so crazy to have like your phone in your face like this. Um, so I look nuts. But um, it's so nice to hear from you. I, I do remember you all from seeing you at Shul when we would go with my husband, um, who is who's watching the Dodgers game. Sorry. Um, but you know, I, I, I'm in a discrimination attorney for a living. I do anti-harassment, anti-bias training. And it's so valuable that you spoke tonight. And I wish more people could hear it um, and share and, and, and hear your experience because we have, we all have unconscious bias, biases. And we bring those to the table in our interactions with other people. And, and in order to raise our consciousness, we need to hear these stories so that we don't, that there's, that when the stupid things comes in our head, we don't let it come out our mouth um, and the insensitive thing, because that's what I try to teach people. Um, I remember being in Beth Am and there was an Asian woman in the elevator with me and she was telling another person, she goes, people always think I'm the convert. And she, she, her husband converted to Judaism. And she was, she was raised Jewish. And it's just so funny. And it's like, yeah, they probably do. Right. And I have a lot of converts. I have at least two very significant ones in my family. And, um, you know, they don't ever have to explain themselves, right? Because of the color of their skin. And no one ever assumes they're converted, like they're shocked they're converted, they converted, right? And so people make assumptions, right? When you're a person of color. And so I just think it's so wonderful that you shared your stories tonight and helped me understand better and raise my consciousness. And I wish we could be together. And it just, it, it brings some love into a very difficult time right now to hear your stories. It makes me happy. My teenage daughter's listening. So thank you. And I just, I just can't wait for us to be in the same room again, sharing children. Amen. Kathy or Barry or both? It's uh, Barry. Hi. Um, hi, Jenny. And um, uh, th this whole conversation, that uh, someone used the word outing. 
uh, it's been really illuminating and so fulfilling for all of us to hear this. Um, mention was made earlier, the difference between a Band-Aid conversation and I, I guess the alternative would be a real conversation. And I would hope in future of these sessions, and that there will be future of these sessions, that we might have some practice of uh, play acting, so to speak. Um, and and, and what, it, what, it, what is it like to, to uh, have a Band-Aid conversation and what is it like to have a real conversation with a Jew of color? Uh, and and that, that includes uh, uh, Latinos and Mizrahim and anywhere else in the world, uh, the Asian uh, the Jews of color is, is extremely broad and comprehensive. Um, and uh, I think uh, we, we need more practice in how to, um, to do real conversations, real, real conversations, not band-aids. Agreed. And thank you, Barry. And glad you guys are here. Um, true, true, true to form, uh, there's, there's a lot to say. Um, so we're already at seven fifteen, which is, which is a problem of abundance because I think there's plenty to say, and I'm sure there's lots more we could keep talking about. And I want to be mindful of the time and mindful of zoom fatigue. Um, I, I'm happy to, to kind of wrap things up, but before I do that, I want to turn once more, uh, to our esteemed panel, uh, to and and in all seriousness, to to really um, applaud and express tremendous gratitude to Philip and to Greg and to Jenny for their openness and bravery in speaking so candidly um, to to our community. Because in in some ways, it's easier to be really honest with a community that's not yours, right? Like you you can share very openly with the person who sits next to you on the airplane because you know you're never going to see him again, right? Like it's it's another thing to do that with with your community, with the folks who, please, one day soon you'll be seeing every week uh, at Shoal in person. So so just tremendous gratitude for each of you. Um, anything you any of you would want to share as we as we move to wrap things up? Yeah, Philip. It goes to like um, Mr. Rosenblatt said, and I was thinking it, and my brother kind of touched on it when he said, yeah, once we get that initial, um, you know, your Black conversation out of the way, then we could, now we could have these other conversations. I was thinking that um, when Jenny and my brother were talking that we had so such a diverse mix of people growing up that it probably is easier for us, especially him, because I'm not the talker, but it's probably easier for us to just talk about something like, you know, other than the obvious, like, um, I forgot which one of you guys uh, said it, maybe Rabbi Schatz was like, I just want to ask you this question because I want to know your perspective on it, but I can't ask you this question because you might assume that I'm asking you because you're black. Whereas, you know, I don't feel none of that pressure <laughs> when I'm talking because it's like, well, I've always had this situation. So it, it doesn't, um, I'm comfortable in this situation now. So now I could just talk about anything. Like, we're, we're just going to have a conversation. I don't have to tiptoe around it. 
I don't have to band-aid, you know, somebody might get offended. I'm sorry, I'll just apologize. And hopefully they'll see that wasn't my intention. But because we were raised <clears throat> in the community that we were in where, you know, because um, like some people were raised in all black communities and all Hispanic communities, you know, to where they don't even, there's, there's no diversity at all. And so they feel the same thing. I can only speak from my family's point of view when talking to people of other races and cultures, they'll feel some of the same pressure. Like, well, how do I talk to them? Well, you just talk, <laughs> you just have a conversation. So yeah, when he said um, this could be like a, a practice or I forgot his exact phrase, like I understand what you're saying. And and I'll say a little bit towards that, my niece is engaged to a white guy and my sister who, this is her daughter, had a team meeting where it was like, hey, we've got to, we've got to be mindful of certain things. So it like, like when my brother said, like you grow up a certain way and you introduce another culture into your family. It's, it happens and it's fine. But like, yeah, we had a team meeting where it's like, Hey man, so make sure that you make people feel comfortable being here and whatnot. We had a team meeting, so it happens, man. It's okay. But if I, I wanted to let Jenny talk, but uh, I guess I'll wrap mine up by saying this, it's very important that you have women um, speak when it comes to these things. I think as, um, um, a lot of the times you see men, um, especially black men growing up, where our what was taught to us was deal with it. We didn't get a lot of the how are you feeling stuff and uh, are you OK? And, you know, growing up, whatever was going on, it was like, you just got to be tough, man. You just got to deal with it. So um, my expression and my uh, my desire to be understood comes from like art and stuff. I'm a big art kid. It doesn't come from how I was raised. I was raised to just be quiet and deal with it. And whatever it is, you just got to shoulder it. And um, the last few years, it's just become very apparent that it is very important to have women speak on certain things because they have a level of sensitivity and they have a, an, they tend to have more emotional intelligence from the black community. I'm just speaking about how the black community is raised. Our women tend to have more emotional intelligence um, in a lot of aspects, because there's a survival tactic that's drilled into the men to where, yeah, we don't really notice a lot of things like, you know, we try to put certain things out of our mind and just keep moving forward. Um, and we try to be problem solvers and whatnot. And um, I think it's always important to have women speak because then they can, uh, in a more eloquent way, put what's going on and they're more observant and they can compartmentalize things and organize it a little better. Whereas we try to oversimplify things sometimes. And uh, so I appreciate Jenny. I appreciate uh, her sharing her story and um, giving it a, giving it more color. Whereas, you know, me and my brother are just happy to be here. <laughs> Hanging out. Uh, I am also just happy to be here. Um, I, I just feel gratitude for um, being asked to speak to my community about this. Um, I think I said at the beginning, it's a completely different feeling uh, being asked to talk about this to Jewish people at large that I will never see again, um, as opposed to people that I've had lunch with 
and hope to have lunch with again. And um, I, I just feel, I feel grateful that you, you felt like this was important to come and listen to. And um, so, yeah, just thank you for, thank you for being here and listening to us. And uh, it's, it's very, it's humbling and it's an honor. That's what I want to say. Thanks, Jenny. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, Philip. Um, Philip, I think at, at some point in your story, you talked about um, coming to Bethlehem, just kind of seeking belonging, right? And I, and I think that's something that we're all looking for. And that, that's a big, huge component of what community offers us is a place where we can go virtually at the moment, physically, hopefully soon, and feel seen and heard and um, just connected. Um, and I think that through having conversations like these, that's a step um, to enhancing that that much more, right? I'm so grateful that each of you really feels already so connected to Bethlehem and so welcome at Bethlehem. And hopefully it's through conversations like these, these opportunities that we can just continue to amplify and enhance that, uh, that experience that much more. We're going to keep having conversations like these wherever we can and however we can, because I think we can all agree they are important. Um, we don't have another date on the calendar. We don't have another program planned. But if you have thoughts or ideas for different ways in which we can expand these kinds of offerings, um, Rabbi Schatz and myself would love to hear them. And for now, we'll just uh, say thank you to everybody again. Um, really glad you all joined us. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.